find your Bible and find your place at the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts. We are uh, going to start something uh, new this evening, uh, the gospel gone viral uh, in the book of Acts. It will not be exactly like 1 Corinthians where sometimes we have studied every verse and sometimes every word in a verse, but we're going to be looking at the narrative of the book of Acts now for the next number of weeks and talking about the church going viral, the gospel going viral. I think you probably know well what I mean when I say something goes viral, especially in this media world in which we live, this social media world. You've probably seen somebody make a video and then they put it on YouTube and then it becomes just a small number of people that see it at first, but it's of some particular event or maybe some crisis event, and it goes viral. And before you know it, there's 100,000 people, maybe a million people that have viewed it, something that goes from a very small number to this large number of people. Uh, there are many things in life that go viral, and we're, we're talking about that for the next, for the next few weeks uh, I can remember, and this is not a comment or criticism of tattoos. I, I will show you mine after the service if you'd like to see it. Um, but I can remember when nobody had a tattoo. I don't know that I knew anybody that had a tattoo. And if I knew them, uh, I, I, I didn't know they had a tattoo. It just wasn't very obvious. But tattoos have gone viral. Everybody has one. If you don't have one, you're nobody. You need to go get one. Nothing sinful about a tattoo, by the way. Just nobody had them, and all of a sudden they've gone viral. And now you go to a restaurant, you can't find hardly anybody. Or go to a business, you can't find hardly anybody that doesn't have a tattoo. That's what I'm talking about. Something that starts seemingly as nothing and suddenly becomes everything. And the book of Acts gives us a picture of the church that begins with virtually nothing, 120 people in an upper room, that by the time you get to chapter 2 and 3, you're up to 3,000 people and then 5,000 people. And then it says they multiplied in number. And you get to Acts chapter 8, and the persecution is turned up against them, and they get spread out all across the region, and they start preaching the gospel everywhere they go, and Christians are, are com people are coming to Christ everywhere people are going and preaching the gospel. People are coming to Christ, and churches are springing up, and then you get missionaries like Paul and Peter and others that are, are, are proclaiming the gospel, and churches are spreading everywhere. As a matter of fact, when you get to Acts chapter 28, that's the end of the book of Acts as far as we have it, but there is an entire church network called the Acts 29 network. What was begun in the book of Acts and what goes through chapter 28 continues in this day. That's what they intend for it to mean. It continues in this day that the gospel is going viral, that the church is going viral and the reality is there are many places that are like the place where we live, where there's churches everywhere, but there are also places that desperately need churches, and they're growing, and they're beginning to develop, and there's new ones being planted, and there's Christians coming to faith in Christ. And so as we study through some of the parts of the book of Acts, 
We're going to see how the gospel goes viral, and we're going to see how the church becomes this viral body of people that are growing in significant ways. But tonight we want to begin by reading the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 1. Luke writing says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, was through, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days in speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. In being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel or kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray together. Fathers, we begin tonight this new series of messages about the gospel going viral, about the church growing across and around the world. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to catch, to see, to desire, to want what they had in that first century church, and that, Lord, you'll bring it to us in the 21st century church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to talk with you for a few minutes tonight about recapturing the spirit of the church. Most of us look back over the course of our lives and we think of a time in the church when we'd like to go back to that time and we'd like to be able to be a part of that time again. As a matter of fact, what we feel like and what we think is that if we could take what we had in the past and we could transport it somehow into the present, that we could recapture some of the things that we experienced when we were there in those gone, those past, those uh, days gone by, those past days, we could recapture that in the present day. And we want to recapture the spirit of the church. I understand that. I look back across my teenage years when I was saved at the age of 16 and some of the things that our church was doing, the Mount Vernon Baptist Church of Stockbridge, Georgia, some of the things that we were doing and there was enthusiasm and there was excitement and there was a lot of things happening and speakers in and out and 
I can remember all the singing and I can remember all the fun we were having and all the activities in which we were involved. And I think to myself, wow, if I could just recapture some of that and I could bring it into the present, that would be so much fun. But the reality is that you can't do that. You can't recapture everything that is nostalgic to us that we remember in our teenage years or our childhood years or our young adult years, you can't capture all of those things and bring them into the 21st century. And besides, if you did, many of those things would not have the same impact as they had at that particular time in our own lives. God was doing something in our lives. God was doing something in our churches in those days. God was doing something in the culture that was unique and was different and was specific to the time in which it was happening. And God is doing today things that are unique and specific and that are for the times in which we live. And if we're going to recapture the church, as I often hear people talk about the past and how they wish we did that and how we wish we could go back to this and how we wish we had that again, and they go back to the past, I inevitably remind them that if you really want to recapture the spirit of the church, you're not going back far enough. If you're going back 50 years or 60 years or 70 years or if you want to go into history back 100 years or a couple of hundred years, if you want to go back, you really haven't gone back far enough. If you want to recapture the spirit of the New Testament church, you have to go back to the first century. And you have to go back to what God was doing at the very beginning and ask God to do those things in the first that he was doing in the first century, in the 21st century. What was it in these opening 11 verses that the early New Testament church was doing that is something that you can do in every generation that would allow us to recapture the spirit of the church? If there was a time in which I could live... I don't think I could have lived in the first century. I, I like my soft bed. I like my washed clothes and a washing machine and a dryer. I, I like my food cooked in an oven. I like restaurants uh, where you can eat out. I like the comforts and the conveniences. I like air conditioning, and I like heat, and I like my car. I'm not sure that I could have ever owned a Camelac's. I'm not sure that I could have lived in the first century. I can hardly stay at a Red Roof Inn or a Days Inn if I'm forced to do so. I can hardly do that. But it's not those things that we're looking for. What was it that this church was doing in the first century that we can do in the 21st century that would recapture the spirit of what God was doing so that the gospel and the church itself would go viral. And I suggest to you there are four things that were happening that we can do today. Number one, they waited. They waited. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 4, it says, they were assembled together, and he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. 
to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. They were waiting. Now, for me, the hardest thing to do is to wait. And the older I get, the more impatient I become. I have yet to understand why when I'm in the drive through line at the McDonald's, why the people who have been sitting for a minute or two or three ahead of me don't already know what they want by the time it's their turn to pull up to the speaker. And they pull up to the speaker and they're asked, what's your order? And they're talking back and forth in the car between everybody that's in the car trying to figure out what everybody wants. The menu hasn't changed. The menu has been basically the same for as long as I have known a McDonald's to exist. It's a hamburger. There's some chicken on there. There's some fries. There's a fried pie. There's ice cream. There's the things that have always been there. How can you pull up to the speaker, be asked what you're what you want to eat, and you don't know by the time you get there. How can that even be possible? That, to me, seems an incredible thought. Can you tell that I don't like waiting? The older I get, the more I struggle with some of those things. But when I'm talking about waiting here, I'm not talking about waiting in the line at the McDonald's or whatever restaurant it may be. I'm talking about waiting for two things. Number one, they were waiting for the promise. Do you know what the promise was? The promise was that when Jesus went away, that he was going to send in his stead the indwelling presence of the, Lord, of the Holy Spirit. They were, he, he was going to send in his stead the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, verses 16 and 26, in John 15, 26, in John 16, 7, in that little section of Scripture that's so rich in speaking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, it's good that I go away, because if I go away, I'm going to send in my stead the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was going to do something different than the Holy Spirit had done previously throughout the course of history. In the past, the Holy Spirit would come upon people for specific tasks or specific duties or to accomplish a, a uh, something that the Lord had to have accomplished or to say something through someone that the Lord wanted said. The Holy Spirit came on them, but the Holy Spirit could also leave them. I've been reading through, well, I shouldn't say been reading. I have read through uh, in the last several weeks through the, books, through the book of Samuel, First and Second Samuel. Actually, I've been through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. I've been through that section. And you remember that God chose, actually the people chose Saul to be the first king. It wasn't God's choice. It was the people's choice. But if you remember reading the story about Saul, it tells us that the Spirit of God came on Saul. But if you go on reading his sad story, this man who was head and shoulders taller than everybody else who could have been this great leader had he stayed humble before the Lord, had he been willing to depend on the Lord, but who took things into his own hands and disobeyed God in the process of what God had told him to do, he chose not to do. What happens? The Holy Spirit is removed from him. Or you think about David in Psalm 51, a section that, that I've read through this summer as well, Psalm 51, where David is crying out in confession of his sins. Do you ever pray that prayer when you sin? Okay. Might be a good place to start. 
When I have sinned, sometimes I turn to Psalm 51 and I turn it into my own prayer, my own prayer to God. But in that prayer where David is confessing his sin against Bathsheba and his sin against Uriah, her husband, and having his life taken from him, when David is confessing his sin after some uh, 12 months or so of not speaking of it and holding it within himself and not confessing it and not acknowledging it, and he says, my, my bones within me are roaring. I mean, he's in trouble. He's just churning within himself until Nathan comes and confronts him and tells him that you're the one that has sinned. And then he cries out to God in Psalm 51. And what does, he, what, does he, what does he pray? He says, take not your spirit from me. And so in the Old Testament, the spirit would descend upon and rest upon certain individuals for certain tasks or for the reason of communicating from God through them the message that God had for others to be able to hear. He could come and he could go and he could come and he could go. But in the promise that they were waiting for, Jesus has said he's not going to come and go anymore. He's going to come and stay. And you know where he stays? He stays in the hearts of believers. He indwells every one of us. He is the the seal. The Holy Spirit is the seal of our eternal destiny. He marks us as his own. And he indwells us. And they were waiting for that promise. May I tell you that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. We'll study that a little bit later. He came on the day of Pentecost. He baptized the believers into the body of Christ, and the church was birthed into existence, and he took up residence in those early believers, those early Christians. He took up residence within each of them and sealed them all as his own, and he promised that he would never leave them, and he would never forsake them that he would go with them wherever they go. And they were waiting for that promise. We're not waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. We're not waiting for, if you're a Christian already, for the Holy Spirit to indwell us. But we're waiting for the Holy Spirit to take control of us and for the Holy Spirit to do a work in us and for the Holy Spirit to do a work through us. Our Baptist churches talk too little about the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit's responsibility to point men to Jesus Christ. That's his task of pointing men to Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that we never talk about the indwelling presence and the filling, the constant, repeated filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We desperately need it. And we're waiting, oh God, before you for the Spirit of God to take control of us and to fill us and to use us and to speak to us and to speak through us. They were waiting before God for the promise. They were waiting before God, not only for the promise, they were waiting before God for the power of God to come. Isn't that what he says in verse 8? But you shall receive, what's the word? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You say, what does he mean by power? Well, it means a number of things. But I'm going to show you some specific things, one specific thing. Just look a few pages over to Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. Look what happens when the Holy Spirit takes charge 
in a person's life. When a Holy Spirit takes control, when we yield ourselves fully and wholly to him, we're filled with the Spirit of God. Look at chapter 4, verse 13. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled for they realized that they had been with Jesus. What's the mark? One of the primary marks of a person who has, uh, who has uh, yielded himself or herself to the control of the Spirit in his or her life, it is boldness to speak the Word of God. Look at verse 29 of that same chapter. Chapter 4, verse 29, he says, Now look. Uh, now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Or down to verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, for they were all filled. Here it is. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. What happens in a church? When I say in a church, I don't mean these buildings and pews and carpet. I'm talking about in a church body, a group of people like you and I. What happens when we're waiting before the Lord for the Holy Spirit to take control and take charge as we yield ourselves to him? Not only do we have the promise that we have the indwelling presence of the Spirit with us and he'll never leave us, but we're promised that we're given the power of God demonstrated in the boldness through which we proclaim the gospel. May I just suggest to you that the world in which we live, we're going to need the boldness that comes from the power of the Spirit of God more than we've ever needed it before. If you speak the truth, even if you speak the truth in love, there are going to be those who will hate you as a result of doing so. And many will be timid and many will be fearful, including me sometimes. We all get intimidated at moments, but many will be intimidated and many will be fearful and many will shrink away. And the only way for us to be able to have the boldness that is needed and the boldness that is necessary is that we wait before God and we say, oh God, I yield myself to you. I yield my mind for my thoughts to be your thoughts. I yield my eyes to see what you would have me to see. I yield my ears to hear the things that would be pleasing to you. I, years, I yield my lips that I would speak those words that would, be, that would bring glory and honor to you. I yield my hands that I will do with them the work that you would have me to do. I yield my feet that you will take me where you want me to go. I yield you to you my heart that my heart will be deeply and passionately in love with with you, I yield every aspect of my life. I yield my children. I yield my house. I yield my possessions. I yield everything. Oh God, I wait for, uh, before you that you will fill me and that you will control me. By the way, their waiting wasn't a waiting of inactivity, was it? Their waiting was not an, a waiting of inactivity, was it? Their waiting was an activity of prayer. What are they doing in the, in, in the upper room? 
What are the 120 men and women doing in the upper room? They're praying. They're praying. They're, they're calling out to God. They're communing with the Lord. They were told to wait, and they're waiting exactly where God told them to wait. And they're waiting for the descent of the Holy Spirit who's going to baptize them into the body of Christ, indwell them once and for all and forever, and empower them to do the work that God has for them to do. But they're waiting before God in prayer. And may I suggest to you that if we're going to recapture the spirit of the New Testament church, we're not going to do it by going back to flannel graph or going back to a particular song or a particular activity that was so important to us when we were kids growing up. I can remember as a teenager, I hadn't been saved very long, and I was uh, in, in love as a 16-year-old with Mary. And every uh, many, many Wednesday evening, many uh, Sunday evenings, uh, the youth director would load us all on a bus uh, we'd all go down to the McDonald's in, in McDonough, Georgia, which was 10 miles from where the church was, and we'd take over the restaurant. I'd always have to find my daddy, say, Daddy, I need some money. <laughs> daddy, I need some money. Can't she buy her own? I've seen how much she eats. <laughs> no, 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 that's, he didn't say that. He, he didn't say that. Uh, and I'd, I'd ride on the bus with her. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to have a, one of those bus rides again. Those were some of the most fun times of my life. As a 16, 17-year-old teenager riding on that bus, we rode the bus together to Six Flags over Georgia. We rode the scream machine. Well, she didn't ride the scream machine. We rode the merry-go-round together. That's, that's the fastest thing Mary will ride. She rode, we rode the Mary. Oh, I'd love to go back to those days. Hey, oh, those are great memories. Those are wonderful things. Hope you never forget them. They are the good old times, but they're the good old times. If we want God to do something in our church today, if we want God to do something, we don't want to go back to the, to, to the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. We, we don't want to go back to the 20s and the 30s and the 40s. We don't want to go back to the 1800s or the 1700s. We want to go back to the very first century. And we want to be the people who are waiting before God. And we're saying, we're not waiting for the Spirit of God to come. He's already here. If, he's, if you're a believer in Jesus, he already indwells you. But we are waiting before God in prayer, and we are yielded and are yielding ourselves to him every moment of every day so that every moment of every day is a refreshing of our spirit and a refreshing of our souls and a revival of our spiritual lives that is constantly and consistently going on day by day and week by week and month by month and year by year. We wait before the Lord. They waited. It's 6.56 and I have three more points. They waited before the Lord. You know what? Maybe I'll just pick this up next week when all of those that are over there will be over here. And all of us can hear how we can recapture the spirit of the church. And maybe what we do is we just close this service by waiting 
before the Lord in prayer. In yielding ourselves to God, hey, he's in you. The, the, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. I'm not much of a vessel. I'm not always proud of my vessel. Uh, I want to have a clean vessel that's usable to God. But you know what? God can take the weakest things there are in this world and God can do the greatest of work. And we wait before the Lord in prayer 